This is the Black Journalist on Journalism podcast, a ZMC podcast production. And we are back with a new episode of the Black Journalist on Journalism podcast. Zoe Berry is here. I'm here. And our special guest, Misha Green, is here, the managing editor of the Washington Informer. This is our first episode of the year with a guest. And it just so happens to be our first episode of Black History Month. So we're going to smash it all together with somebody who is running one of the legacy brands in Black newspapers and Black media. Misha, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. Thank you for that introduction. I'm like feeling all fired up. It's Black uh, History Month. I, we need to right. cue the the James Brown, even, you know, I want to get get the show sued. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, um, I'm Black and I'm proud and I'm happy to be with you today. We're happy to have yeah. you this morning. Yeah, happy Black History Month. Misha, I'm one of those people who lives here in D.C. I am a reader of The Informer, so I'm super happy to speak with you today and learn a little bit more about The Informer as well as yourself. So that's what I'm excited about. Well, thank you. Thank you for reading. And for all those in the world, uh, just know that you can get The Washington Informer on WashingtonInformer.com. Uh, you can see full editions uh, every week, as well as all of the news that you can use. Uh, and also subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, you won't be disappointed. So thank you for Reading and following as Zuri and Donnell. Donnell has like hit me uh, and been like, he's seen our, our, our like MLK edition. Oh, I, I need a print copy. I don't want no digital copy. I said, Misha, you got to send me a print copy. I, and, I, and I have the print. I was in the office yesterday and got a couple specifically to send to you. So. They are awesome looking. <laughs> yes. Zuri, I'm especially happy to have Misha here because she and I are in the same boat. We are running... Black newspapers, legacy brands for our respective cities, Atlanta and Washington. Look, two of the last bastions of Black America. Yeah. That Baltimore, Atlanta, Washington, Chicago. That's how I feel anyway. Yeah. And um, I'm dying to talk to her about just when she got in to the former. She's also worked for the Afro, another legacy brand. And just what it means to be working for a Black newspaper. Because I try to, I go to different colleges in Georgia and I talk to people about it. And the rooms that I'm talking in are not majority black, which doesn't mean that they don't need to know this. I'm just saying they're not. And when I talk about it, it's always like you get people in their seat like, wow, why is that a thing? Oh, really? Blacks have been making newspapers that long? Get out. And it's like, yes. There's a lot of experience. I always use the Washington Forum as an example of that. Papers that have been very important to their respective cities for a very long time. So I'm happy to have Misha here. That was one of my first guests on my to-do list for 2024. And I'm so happy she's here. Well, thank you. Yes, thank you for having me. And, you know, it, it's wonderful to think about the fact that for 197 years, the Black press has been in existence. Um, I mean, it's humbling. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I'm sure we could get those numbers, but I, I can't imagine the percentage of African Americans who were able to read 197 years ago, uh, much less legally be able to just openly have their paper, uh, ask folks questions in order to get news out for other folks. I mean, this, uh, you know, one of my favorite things to say about the work we do is it's fearless. It's fearless journalism. Um, Last week at the Black Press Midwinter Conference, the National Newspaper Publishers Association Midwinter Conference in Fort Lauderdale, the Reverend Mark Thompson spoke about how every person who is a member of the Black Press inherently wears a hat of activism. And so when I learned about the Black Press more than just, oh, my parents are reading the Afro and the Informer, uh, my grandparents used to have that sitting on their coffee table, those kinds of things, and really dove into the history of the Black press. It, for me, just felt like home. It felt like a place where not only I could share stories and be a part of uh, informing our community, but it was also a place where I could be a part of making a difference and empowering the community that I love, the community that has made me who I am and the community that really has shaped American culture. Mm. 
Um, and so I wanted to be a part of that. I uh, started in broadcast journalism and I was studying at University of Maryland College Park when I had to get uh, uh, print or pieces published as a part of a class. You know, it was like five a semester or something. And so I was getting things published a couple different places, but the Afro was the first to really embrace me. Uh, and from then, I worked in broadcast uh, doing a, a couple of freelance opportunities and really enjoying the, the ability to tell stories on camera. My background is theater, which we can talk about a little bit later, but my background is theater. And so it was a natural transition. The hard part was filming my own <laughs> packages and mm. editing and things like that. But, um, you know, because it, it was something that I always was intrigued by, I wanted to learn and, and dive into that. But in that process, I was also freelancing for the Afro and I was turning a lot of my digital packages to print stories and you know, I, I was young and broke and like, oh, if I can make a little bit of money on this video and then a little bit more on a story, like I need to get my my print game up. It's so up. that's what that's what I was doing. Um, and, you know, to make a very long story short, in the process of that, I had a piece that was gaining a lot of attention sort of on the Afro website and. Uh, just in the world in D.C. And my uh, predecessor uh, at the Afro ended up uh, taking a new job. And so it was one of those things like, well, Misha's been doing a lot. Would you like to apply for the position? And I was like, as an editor, what? Uh, uh, at that time, you know, uh, I think 100, it was in the late teens, um, maybe early 20s, some odd your paper then. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't know, but I, the, I, I jumped in and it was the best decision, um, in terms of just helping me really find a place in the black press and really find a home in the black press. And so I was there from, uh, as DC editor from 2017 to 2022, March 2022. Mm. Uh, I left there, uh, went to the Baltimore Sun. And got an idea of what it was like working full time in mainstream media. And, you know, at the time, absolutely loved it. I did not leave the sun because I wasn't appreciating the opportunity. They were actually really, I think, leaning on me for my black press background in many ways to sort of bring that innovation that I, you know, had to do as an editor at, at the Afro and some of the communities that I was able to touch um, at that time. And so it was it was a great opportunity. I felt like the sun uh, and the leadership at that time, very much so at that time. embraced me um, and, you know, really gave me a platform to do my thing. I was getting to host events and things like that. So um, under the regime I was at at the sun for that year, I want to be very clear um, because I know nothing that's happening in the world of David Smith and the sun right now. Hey, that's, a, that's a big part of my me. world right now. That, that, was, that was me. That was not me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that was not me. But um, I really appreciated it. So, you know, no sun slander over here from my side. But I got an opportunity uh, to work as managing editor at the Informer. And when I say I have been Informer adjacent pretty much since I worked in the Black press, oh, it just, have. it is what it is. When I would be on carpets, first of all, you know, I would say, yeah, Misha Green from the Afro. And they'd be like, oh, we love Denise. And I'm like, wrong paper. <laughs> you know, like, the time, wrong paper. Um, that, would, that would be their thing. Uh, but I'm like, you know, I always kind of knew Miss Denise and I saw her in the in the crowd, but I didn't really know her. And so as I got to know her, um, opportunities presented themselves. I've known her son, uh, her oldest son, Lafayette, for a long time. Um, and so we would do podcasts together that were sponsored by The Bridge, and then that, uh, uh, which is the millennial version of The Washington Informer. It's a millennial publication mm -hmm. in association with The Washington Informer, I should say. Um, and so we were doing that, and we were even hosting podcast as a part of the National Newspaper Publishers Association. Uh, but that was kind of with 
the, you know, like I said, informer adjacent. Um, and so when I got this opportunity for me, it was like, oh, it was only a matter of time until I got to work with this amazing woman who's been my Shiro for a number of years, Denise Rolark Barnes, and this legacy paper um, in a city that uh, is my home and that I've loved and that I've, you know, had to pull pieces out as a kid and, and, and talk about this story and what it meant. So it's so full circle. I, um, I think at like my 13, 14th month mark, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like a, I'm like a parent with when I can accept that year, you know, I'm, I'm like at 13 and 14 months now with, with my baby as managing editor. I love the Washington Informer. I love our team. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I really am happy to be a part of such a wonderful legacy bold, empowering, informing, educational organization. Yeah. Uh, let me just say, uh, we also love Miss Barnes. Um, she is a force, uh, an absolute force and uh, a treasure of somebody who uh, champions the black press. And so I appreciate her. I appreciate her viewpoints. I love, love, love that she shares on one of my favorite platforms as, as much as she does on LinkedIn. So let me just say that, get that yeah, out of the way. She is a LinkedIn queen. Yes. Like. I love that though. <laughs> yes. If you're not following yes. Denise uh, uh, Barnes on, on LinkedIn, by all means, check her out. She is. She's, she's doing it right her. though. Use it like Facebook. I've been telling people all the time, use LinkedIn like a professional Facebook. She yeah. does it right. Yep. Yeah. She's doing no, it right. She does it right for sure, and and she will appreciate that shout out because I call her um, an honorary millennial. <laughs> <laughs> About right. <laughs> that, 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 that that certainly uh, is the case. Uh, so she will certainly appreciate that. <laughs> cool. I wanted I want to take a step back to a couple of things that you mentioned. So first, let's let's start with you said you started in theater. And I, I'm interested in this because you got a degree, I believe, in theater as well, right? And you're an actor. T talk to us about yes. that. I am. Um, so theater was really the majority of my life. The fact that I am a journalist, it, it still has me scratching my head sometimes. I mean, I love what I do, but it was not the trajectory that I was on really since I was a kid. I went to an arts middle school and I had to audition to get in this middle school. And my major Where was, was this? drama. This was in Prince George's County. It was Thomas G. Pullen Arts Focus School. I think, uh, you know what? I need need to do the digging into it. I know it still is. It, it became, a. it was a magnet school when I first went and then it was, it got lost that title and became an arts focused school. But I, Last I heard, they're still around and doing some awesome things. Um, a lot of their alum have gone on to do great things, including some of the folks in my class. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, I loved Thomas Pullen. From Pullen, I went to Duke Ellington School of the Arts mm -hmm. um, in Washington, D.C. Very famous. I majored in, very famous. I majored in theater. Uh, same department of Dave Chappelle and Lamont Rucker and Tracy Jade and um, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and so um, for me, that was an honor. My entire time at Ellington, I was inundated in the importance of Black arts and Black artists. Um, I mean, to, you know, th this month is African, a, a solid, and I should say this year, Asala, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, the Creators of Black History Month. Um, their theme this year, 2024, is African Americans and the arts. Um, and for me, this is great. Again, make sure you're looking at the informer coverage because it's my love. And so it's very highly curated uh, this month. But uh, I, I was thinking as I was working on this, I have been surrounded by people telling me how important Black artists are to American culture so much of my life. Um, and Duke Ellington was really that kind of place. There were, you know, obviously a lot of our alum who would come back and talk about that, but that was just a part of our education. Every single thing, whether we were looking at, you know, ancient Greece um, to the Black arts movement, there was always a tie of 
how this is reflected in not only Black arts today, but how Black arts sort of ushered where we are um, in the arts in general and American culture in general. So um, I shout out to Duke Ellington um, all the ways. It was a great, 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 great four years of my life. Um, and then I went to Fordham University and majored in theater. In the Bronx. Um, well, so I went to the Lincoln Center campus. Oh. I always get because I don't want nobody to like be looking at me and be like, I never really used to see her on Fordham Road. Now I was there, and I always make that clear because that's where the black people yes. were. That's where all the parties were. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like if if I wanted to have a good time, it was the Bronx campus I went to. Uh, I took the Ram van because we had a little van that would take us there. And then if not, I would have to take the train back late at night, after, you know, at four in the morning because the van was not going. So I have a lot of amazing memories in the Bronx, but I went to the Lincoln Center campus, which is really important because I was a theater right. major. So to be in, you know, again, surrounded by the arts right next to Lincoln Center um, was just a great experience. Uh, Denzel Washington was a grad. And so while I was uh, up there, now, he he was in the Bronx, so I don't know how that worked, that he was in the theater program as well. But I know he played Othello. I know he was in the program. He reps it. Uh, but he was a football player. So, basketball. You know, he made it. Uh, was it basketball? basketball? Okay, mm-hmm. basketball player. So, anyway, Denzel was an athlete. He made it work. I don't know how he got between the Bronx and Lincoln Center the way he did, but he made it work. That's it. Denzel while I was a student there, created an endowed scholarship. And so my professors, while I was there, first of all, a Black student got it, who was my best friend, who also went to Duke Ellington with me, my dad, who's an amazing actress in Kelly. Her name is Maya Watang. Look her up. Um, but she she got the scholarship that first year. Um, and the professor was Felicia Rashad. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then my set, you know, so I basically nothing. It was amazing. I remember coming to our shows and giving us notes and just being like very intentional mm. um about pouring into all of us, but you know, really me feeling that connection. You know, for me it was yes, this is Mrs. Cosby, but this is also a black woman, you know, or Mrs. Textable, because she was but you know, the Cosby show. This was Mrs. Textable, you know, who I've watched my whole life. But it was also um, this black woman who was a legendary actress um, and, you know, really arts extraordinaire in her in her own right um, and barrier breaking. And so for her to just want to pour into us and to specifically find the black girls and give us very intentional notes and tell us she's proud of us and tell us so we can work on was just I mean, you know, it changed my life. And then the following year, uh, Joe Morton, which if anybody does not know Joe Morton, do your research. Uh, uh, of course, he like changed the world with Brother from Another Planet um, years ago. But he also was an amazing uh, addition to the Scandal cast as Daddy, <laughs> as Daddy Pope um, most recently. Um, but just an amazing actor. And he was uh, a pr- our professor. Wow. Um, my senior year and I had we had this class called creating a character and he really helped us you know form these you know which is what he was great at forming characters forming these people but a lot of it again was rooted in his appreciation for black arts and black literature I will never forget he took showed us a, a monologue he created from the book Invisible Man and we were just like, oh, my gosh, you know, um, and, you know, he exposed us to to work that was really important. This is not by black playwrights, but uh, the exonerated, which is about people who sat on death row. Um, and he was doing a stage reading of that and invited our class to go see that and to really dive into the work he was doing and took us out afterwards and just talked to each and every one of us and, you know, saw, wanted to know where we were so Theater was my life. It was my life. I ended up getting a uh, an agent after college, um, immediately after college, and I worked as a as a theater practitioner. It was it was what I did, and I knew I wanted to do black arts. I ended up going back and teaching at um, Duke Ellington, and in that process, I was auditioning regularly, working you know fairly regularly, whether it was stage or little film kind of thing or TV, little tiny TV spot. A lot of 
things were going digital. So I was like traveling to like shoot for YouTube and things like that. And in the process, I get an audition for, to read from a teleprompter. Um, and it was about diabetes and tequila. And, and yep. it was how the agave and tequila is good for patients with diabetes. And like, you know, and so I, you know, I get, I, of course, I go to the audition. I'm reading from the prompter. I, I guess I kill it. They give me $500 on the spot. And I'm like, so wait, is this journalism? Cause this isn't acting. Cause I never get paid this fast in acting. And I didn't have to I never learn get this paid fast in journalism either. <laughs> exactly. I learned that far too quickly, mm, Donnell. Yeah, I learned that, that far that too day, quickly. You asked me, I was like, no. no one told Take me the money that and leave, day. go. Uh, <laughs> no one told me that that day. But, you know, it, 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 I ended up loving it and I was getting opportunities in that vein. So I went in and applied for grad school at the University of Maryland for broadcast journalism. They gave me a full ride. I am proudly. Philip, Co- Philip Merrill College of Journalism made, Merrill made, as they say. Um, and I mean, it kicked my butt. I think that was the first time where I wasn't just automatically good at something. I was good at telling stories. Um, but like I said, having to learn how to film and edit and, you know, all of that was it. it, it I was up until 5 a.m. sometimes w- with a 7 a.m. final the next wow. moment, you know, I mean, you know, trying to get stuff together. But it humbled me in such a way that really helped me understand what I wanted to do in journalism. And that's why, you know, I generally call myself a storyteller because I didn't, you know, once I did that, I realized I thought I only wanted to do uh, like Access Hollywood and arts and entertainment journalism, which I'm not sleeping on. Access Hollywood, y'all need a little moment I, I will come out there and do and do a little black spot you know a black hollywood spot for y'all but um no i really for me it was it helped me say okay i know i love broadcast i know i like telling stories through print but what can i do and so you know I, I talked about my journey into the afro and all of that but that that's really how it happened with me um going through theater first and thinking that I was going to be a millionaire in journalism, Mm. uh, again, quickly found out that was not the case, but did understand that I didn't just want to be an actor, didn't just want to be a journalist and just want to be a teaching artist. I kind of wanted to do it all. Um, And the black press not only, um, you know, allows you and give you that opportunity, but you kind of have to be that. You have to be an educator. You have to go into these schools and the universities and inform people about the black press. Um, you have to be an activist. You have to be a storyteller in all ways because we're not going to tell the same stories that mainstream does. And we have to find them. We have to have a pulse on it in a way that other folks don't. So let me just um, say, this is an amazing story. And I, and I love every bit of this. I love every bit of this because it tells you sort of the different influences that draws people into this profession. But also we just got some major shout outs just in this little bit, right? (laughs) We heard Felicia Rashad's name. Daddy Pope is in here, Joe Morton. I mean, like, come on now. This is this is a good episode. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we gotta tag them all. I yes. hope they I hope they're looking at this and proud. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Former student here yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean that that that, that is amazing. I, I think um your your experiences are probably instructive for a lot of former theater kids who are in the industry currently, right? Who who see that there's an opportunity here for storytelling in a different way, um, in a way that's impactful too. So tell tell me tell us about that. That now that you've been elevated into this role as, as managing editor, and um, you've obviously had very significant experiences that you've detailed here, both at the Afro the Sun. Um, and into your college experiences. T- talk to us about sort of like getting to this moment and what it means actually to operate in this space and, and how, um, I, I guess, how you view your role, uh, both in the newsroom and in the community. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, I, I just, again, have to say being able to work for the Washington Informer is a dream. Um, Working under Denise Rolak Barnes is 
every day uh, a fun-filled lesson. Um, you, I, you know, I don't go to bed without learning something new, but, you know, she makes it um, in a way that's digestible and enjoyable. Um, and so really watching her and how she operates in the world has been so didactic for me. Um, but it's a lot of work. It's and it's a whole lot of work. You know, I, I like to say Monday through Wednesday, I don't have a life because we're pouring into getting those stories out from um you, you, ensuring that all of our website is up to date, that all of the stories, you know, regularly Monday through Friday, or really Sunday through Monday. Can I, I, can I just say. pause you just um, real quick? Because I, I have to say yeah. this, the informer is stacked. Like, unlike, unlike oh, most, yeah. I, 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 I get around and I, I take a look at all of these newspapers and I can tell people who, who don't, who aren't in the DMV, who don't know the Washington former is stacked. It is a huge newspaper that comes Heavy. out every Thursday. Yeah. So when she says she doesn't have a life, right. that's what she means. This thing is jet, this is filled. And, and as somebody who's a reader, I also know that you write a lot of stories too. So it's not, it's not just you just editing and you're just, you know, trying to compile and curate. No, 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 no. You're also writing and reporting. So I, I just had to say yeah. that because it seemed like you were taking a second to get to it, but I'm, I'm going to just let you know. <laughs> I know it is a, it is a huge, it is no. a huge lift every week. It is. It is. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm happy to do it, but it is. It's, it's a lot of work. Um, we really take our job seriously of empowering and educating the community. But in order to do that, it is a lot of work. <laughs> um, and so um, it, 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 for me, again, it's been a journey of just, you know, figuring out how to do everything that I'm, I want to do while also staying true to the legacy and making sure that people get the, the news that they want. And can use. Um, and so every single day, I, I mean, I don't wake up with a new challenge that I'm excited to face. Uh, we're approaching our 60th anniversary this October. This is our 60th anniversary year. And so um, it's been a great opportunity to figure out how we're going to not only honor, honor the legacy of the paper, but really think about the next 60 years, um, really think about how we can celebrate what the informer has done for Washingtonians and really what Washingtonians have done uh, for the informer for, you know, for the past 60 years. And so that's a new challenge um, that, that we're undertaking. I'm getting to wear the digital hat a lot more and uh, sort of do a lot more of the broadcast things and produced a little bit. We have an amazing producer, Chevrolet Lasseter, who uh, produces Win TV, but you know, we're, we're now working on videos and reels and everything to sort of a uh, monument to memorialize, I should say, this this 60th anniversary <clears throat> and this monumental moment. Um, and so that's been really cool. Um, I, I mean, for me, a, a big part of sort of what I how I approach, again, storytelling in general is making sure that people feel, they give them something to remember every week. And so for me, I look at every week of the Washington Informer as a coffee table edition. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, it, for, for whatever reason, it could be that their aunt was on that edition, but then the whole thing was so incredibly beautiful that it's something to be proud of. Um, and so, you know, this is the first time I, you know, I've been an editor obviously for, I guess, seven years at this point. But this is the first opportunity I've had at The Informer where I'm really getting to curate an entire edition um, in the way that I am and to collaborate with the production team and with our writers and with advertisers and just kind of with everybody. And so it's, like I said, you know, I'm nothing feels... Uh, like feels the same every day, every day, and which is the beautiful thing about news, of course, but just also kind of how I, you know, maybe I'm still new in the position, but it's also because I think 
you know, I don't want it to feel the same every day. And I want it to feel that way for, for our audience. I hope it does. Um, because it, it, it really is important work that we're doing. And so I'm just happy to be a part of it. Misha, talk to me about that some more because I'm in that boat where you're trying to get the digital. You want to make sure the website's up to date. You want to make sure your, the TikTok account is up to date. You want to, you want to make sure, but you also don't want to leave out the local stuff. The reason why there was an Atlanta voice yeah. or Washington form or Baltimore Afro or, or Amsterdam news in the first place, stories that were not being told locally by the, the white media. We came in to fill that gap. So tell me how important that is for you to still be in the street at that uh, city council meeting or not even the neighborhood council meeting or that daycare is yeah. opening or that new business is opening on the corner. How is it important to still be doing that stuff, but also staying relevant with big news breaks? I mean, for us, it's key. I, I think people, you know, we're in the nation's capital. Every major news outlet has a bureau here, has somebody here, but nobody is has a pulse on the community. And so often, I think what happens with a, a lot of, you know, uh, small town or, I mean, big town uh, or small town audiences that have big black communities, I should say, is that they look at, they'll see the big news and wonder how it's affected them. And then when it, that trickle down effect comes or when they really were the beginning of it that then became this big powerful legislation that they really don't understand how those dots connected. Well, that's what we're here to do. We're here to really be in the community and say, this is why this is important and this is how it's going to go all the way up the ladder or this is why this big legislation trickles all the way back down to you. And particularly with D.C. not being a state and us having a lot of things that, um, you know, affect us, federal legislators of, you know, affecting our decisions. It's so important for us to be at the uh, ANC meeting, at the council meeting, at uh, in, in the committee meeting in the House of Representative, Representatives and asking questions um, to the president when we get the opportunity. It's that important because it really is that pendulum. We know, you know, I, I'm talking, I'm preaching to the choir. We know that's how news is in general, but I feel like that is what the Washington Informer does. Um, and that's what the Atlanta Voice does. That's what um, Amsterdam News and New York Beacon and uh, LA Sentinel. That's that is why we're we're still around because folk, uh, you know, in the Afro. Who I have to say, I think is like on a hundred thirty. My goodness, years it's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, whatever it is, it's, amazing. A lot. it's like crazy. Um, it's a lot. Um, but yeah, you know, I it, we're we're still around because we need to be that um, really that wake up call in the community that says, this is why this news is important. And also I think helps everybody really keep a pulse on what's happening. I mean, you know, we're telling stories about small little streets that in, in DC that uh, has, but you know, there's, even though it's a street, it's displaced hundreds of people, right? Um, that's a, that's a story. Um, we're now diving into, um, you know, pieces about environmental justice that nobody's talking about. We're diving into, um, the intricacies of, of, of health stories that no one's talking about that's affecting us right here. Um, and so it, it, it it's key. We can't forget about those you know, council meetings or those small neighborhood meetings um, or um, or even, you know, the the I always say, you know, the brown man on the street who is just giving the news and telling you ev everything that's happening. Talk to him. He's going to give you the story. Um, and, and, and I, you know, I encourage everybody. This is not just for D.C. I found that when I was in Birmingham last year for the National Association yes. of Black Journalists Conference, I had just, you know, I had gotten to a place where I couldn't do the organized things anymore. <laughs> you know, I was tired. That convention center and is I massive, just, I was late. I had like, 
for no it reason. Was, it's massive. Um, for, for absolutely no reason. And let me shout out Birmingham because those people they really were, were, they were very helpful in they helping were. us get from place to place. Mm-hmm. But it just was a lot. Um, you know, I got yes. my steps in, no question. Um, that that conference. And so by that Saturday, I, I just wanted to explore on my, my own. And I ended up going to the 16th Street Baptist Church where the four little girls were unfortunately bombed and, and killed. Um the 60th anniversary was that of that um, was la- was last year, last September, and so I just happy, you know, I was by myself, um, which you know might might not have been the best idea for for a black girl, but it was it is what it is. I just started talking to somebody, and um, again, yes, you know, so we talk about fearless journalism. And the man I was talking to, who was unhoused and asking for money lived right across the street from the 16th Street Baptist Church the day of the bombing. Um, And we had an amazing conversation. I got a great interview. And, you know, we were able, it wasn't just about how, you know, obviously we know it was a tragedy. We know that um, it was terrifying. We knew that it was, uh, you know, ridiculously crazy right after this uh the amazing march on washington to have that and that was supposed to be a wake-up call for black america but we also didn't know what it smelled like you know and didn't know how his house shook when it happened and you know for hours he couldn't even leave his balcony because the marshals were out and checking things that was the story i got just talking to a man that probably other, you know, don't get me wrong. Y'all know when you don't got no cash and you're just trying to keep it walking, <laughs> keep it moving because somebody is asking you for money. That was going to be me, but I'm like, uh-uh, I have a dollar or two and I'm going to talk to this guy and see what he has to say because he sounds like he knows something. And it was an amazing interview. So I encourage folks, go to the community. The stories are certainly out there at the press conferences, but the stories that I think make it. Zuri, this is why we started this podcast. Is, is this not why we started this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. To get that story. Because how do we get that story from a journalist if we don't have these conversations? Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. What y'all are doing is important, important, important. Oh, thank work. you. So thank you. Let me, let me ask you, because you talked a little bit about this and I just, I just want to center in on this so we can expand to talk about the industry a little bit. We've been watching across, I guess, mostly mainstream media, just cuts, cuts, cuts as January's gotten underway. Now we're in February, Black History Month, and it feels like it's still coming. Uh, how is the Informer doing? Um, I, I know you're the managing editor, not the publisher, but uh, uh, just give us a sense, if you will, of how you feel like things are going and what your thoughts are on, I guess, the state of the industry, particularly for the Black press. So, you know, I have to say we're really blessed. I'm feeling like we're, I mean, this is like, first of all, February is a great oh, yeah. time for the Black press because everybody wants to put their ads. It's real though. Us. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, let, let, let's start by saying not every time is as cozy as February is. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's always a, a journey, no question. We're always working to raise funds. We're always, you know, I, I did get to, I, I felt like at the Afro and I still feel like this at the Informer that I'm very blessed in terms of working for organizations that really have great, strong black women leaders who know how to make money, who know how to hire folks that also know how to, you know, make money and know how to apply for grants. Um, and so, I don't think I have. I also really want to shout out the Reverend Dr. Tony Draper, who is the publisher of uh, the Afro. Um, But um, and so that's, you know, again, I want to say we're blessed, but I did see the grass is greener in certain ways uh, in terms of funds and money that folks talk about with with mainstream media. But um, I don't have the freedom to do the things that are that I that I have in the black press. Um, I can't tell the same kinds of stories and with the same understanding that my audience uh, will have, um, you know, and things like that. And so, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade it by any means for the world. But it, 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 I think, you know, we all know that 
Uh, the Black press is in many ways a part of the movement. And the movement is filled with working to make money, always working to ensure that folks recognize you. Um, we're in a major place of like trying to get politicians to understand the importance of spending money with the Black press. Y'all call on us in you know, September and October when it's a time crunch because November's coming around, but like it needs to start now. And so that, you know, that that's always an uphill battle for the black press. Don't get me wrong. But I will say that, I, you know, we're feeling very blessed at the informer right now that, uh, you know, folks are understanding our vision or understanding uh, why black press is so incredibly necessary um, and so we're, you know, we're always looking for more sponsors and more opportunities, particularly as we're going into our 60th anniversary. But, you know, I, I, I luckily do not have the responsibility of signing <laughs> anybody's yeah. checks. I yeah. love that that is given to our fearless publisher. But as far as I mm-hmm. know, we're doing well. Um, we're able to pay our staff. We're constantly how, how big grow. is the staff there now um and so i this is a great question um we have but if you added if you added full-time and, and contributors and all of that okay so I, i'd say i send out an email to about 30 people um to join our editorial calls and not everybody joins them all but all 30 of those people have contributed in my time. <laughs> um, and some of those folks are full time. Um, and some of, I don't want to give an exact number because I know I'm going to forget somebody. Um, and I love everybody. So I don't want to do that. But I'd say a little over 30 folks um, in general, I'm working with regularly. And then that does not include, and these are people who are still uh, very, Huge, uh, probably the most important in me and in many ways to our staff are delivery drivers. Um, that doesn't include, um, some of, uh, that doesn't include the folks who are doing the printing of our, um, of our publications. So, you know, it, it, I get to see everybody at our holiday parties yeah. and things like that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, I always call us a small, but mighty no, team. Look, I'm, really I'm going to have to disagree with you. That's a pretty good paper. operation right yeah. there. <laughs> but, but, but not, yeah. no, I'm going to say, but in terms of all it, all of that, it really is a good operation. I mean, I, I, you know, I'd say on our, on our weekly, every day, I get a contribution from somebody. Yeah. It's about 10 folks. Um, and that includes photographers. That includes writers. Um, that includes people doing, we have uh, folks working on our newsletters and, you know, turning our pieces and, Absolutely. and getting the news. I'm over here getting super jealous. 10 people. Yeah. <laughs> 10, 10 people. <laughs> yeah. But y'all see how for sure. Y'all see how thick our pay, paper is. I think it's weak as like can, can like I can I just or, you know can I just make a comparison just real fast? So you just threw out the number seventy two for how thick your paper is, and I and and that's what I'm talking about when I say stack. Yeah. I was looking at the Sun, the Baltimore Sun, the other day, thirty six pages, and and a, and a lot of it, yeah, wire, yeah. And and so and so yep. there is a there is a there is a difference that you're getting with the black press in the informer. It is a it is a free paper, and you are getting way more in terms of contributions. Because if you if you're reading the paper, you know that Misha is bylining at least three or four stories, <laughs> and you're getting a whole bunch of contributors. We're talking about ten people who are doing not just one, but sometimes two pieces. And so I just think like it's the value is there, right? I do thank you for that because I, I hadn't put it in, into that perspective. But yeah, I just counted my lineup for this week, and we had nine, if not ten. I think I counted myself, which would have thrown it off. But at least I'm not going to count myself and nine contributors. And yes, a few of them are um, full time staff, but a lot of these people are doing this while also working as professors, while also working as attorneys, while also just like, you know, attempting to make sure their health is in order and scheduling doctor's appointments. So um, I'm really thankful for our, our contributors um, in all ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I- 
I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what your thoughts are on the state of the industry right now, seeing how, again, you know, just as I mentioned before, there was, there's been so many cuts. Like, do you have a positive outlook for, for this work that we do? What, I mean, what do you, view, what do you think from your perch at the Informer? Oh, uh, Zuri, this is why you do what you do. All the great <laughs> questions. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I just, I guess I am at a place of we have to stay optimistic because what else can we right. do? Um, I mean, it, it's a bummer to see these, uh, publications, you know, the, the, the messenger, had, had I don't won't say had not necessarily paid their dues and time uh, as much uh, as uh, as some of these other folks that we're talking about, but to see the messenger, to see um, you know Sports Illustrated, okay, um, to see um, you know a lot of these big names um, having to to lay off staff or um, completely close down is so incredibly unfortunate, but we've seen it before. You know, I, I remember um, in like 20, maybe 2016, 2017, that happening. Um, now we know it was correlating with that politically and um, just people questioning the value of, of journalists and news in general um, at that time. But then there was such an incredible shift because news was so important that newsrooms, though, you know, we were seeing folks asking for you know, support your local journalists and blah, blah, blah. Newsrooms were getting a, a, a boom. You were seeing new positions being hired. Um, I think what is really telling is uh, what happened in the Supreme Court last year with uh, looking at affirmative action and now how it's reflecting in our newsrooms and really just organizations in general when it comes to DEI. Um, you're seeing a lot of people losing those kinds of jobs. Um, and so again, in the process, you know, even, even I look at the post, um, you know, this great legacy organization that, you know, had, had to offer these buyouts. And all I can say is we got to keep journalism going no matter what's happening. And that the black press is more relevant, more needed yes. uh, than ever because of that. Um, I mean, again, I, I, I'm so thankful in, uh, that we have not had to cut back on our reporters. Um, but I've, I've been in newsrooms where that's happened. Um, and I remember it and I remember having to make that call. Um, and, and it's, and it's not fun. And I've been in news in that same, you know, a newsroom. Yeah when we had an upswing and we're able to hire uh, new people and create new positions. And so it's the ebb and flow of journalism as long as we're doing the work, as long as we're focused on telling the stories. And really, you know, I mean, it was, again, a blessing to be at NMPA last week because of the put into perspective of why we needed to do the work that we're doing in, in such a large way, because you're talking to people in Alabama and you're talking to people in uh, Sacramento and you're talking to people in Nebraska. Uh, I, I have to shout out Terry Sanders, who is Simone Sanders' mama, uh, but she always says, yes, there's black people in Nebraska, <laughs> who's the publisher <laughs> there. Yes. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're making the, we are, so, so needed. The black press um, is so necessary right now because as we're seeing these newsrooms suffer from an, a, a real attack on journalism, let's make that clear, a real attack on people being able to uh, to to share facts about the world. Um, we're also seeing people say, uh-uh, but you can't mess with the black right. press because we're going to roll up our sleeves. You can do a lot with a lot less. Yep. And we always, always have. have. And we always have. Um, and we don't have a problem in doing so. You know, um, we say that and we love that saying. But I would also argue that you you could say at this point in time, it looks like we manage our businesses better, too. Because yeah, mm-hmm. if you look at some of these larger organizations and the cuts that they've had to do, it's a, that's an issue with management. That's an issue with yeah. financial planning and, and forecasting. And it, it, it's very strange that we don't seem to make that connection. It's like we know our limits, 
We know how to manage our money. Yeah, we know how to budget. We know our limits. We know how to ration in a way that everybody is still getting fed at the end of the day and that we can still feast when it's time to celebrate. We can still, um, you know, have those moments. It all is ancestral. It's all ancestral. (laughs) And and I I just I mean, you know, I don't want to take it there, but I, I, I think about. Um, those folks who are our enslaved ancestors who were making, you know, lavish meals out of scraps, you know, and things that we're still, you know, now you'll go to, to these white owned establishments know, who are, are saying it's, it's Southern chic, Southern cuisine. <laughs> you know what I mean? And this is stuff that, that fed, you know, families for, for days and sometimes months on, on end in order to, to make sure that we folks were fed and able to work and able to do, um, you know, unjustly at that time, certainly. But it, it, it really go is in our DNA. We make things work. We make yeah. Things I work. saw a po' boy for $20 and I was like, Jeez. this is outrageous. <laughs> It's outrageous. It is outrageous. Zuri, I might have seen the same one and still bought it because I'm like, oh, oh, man, let me get two. I need one for, yeah, exactly. I need one for tonight. Let me just go ahead. Yeah. I know That's what you ridiculous. Mean. I know. And let me take one for the road. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Can't stand your prices. Look, let a, me get two. There was a lot of shrimp in that. Right. It better be. Yeah, exactly. It better be. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, is, is the lettuce on this Real, exactly. <laughs> I hear that crunch for that kind of money. Jeez, it might be that for twenty dollars. Oh man, <laughs> um, yeah. Misha, it's been so uh, wonderful chatting with you and learning about you and your story. And uh, who 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 doesn't know a theater kid that has ended up in this industry? <laughs> So, so exactly so very cool and of course a, a, a lot of love for the informer and what you guys do again near and dear to me because i'm here and i pick it up and i read it so i appreciate you but obviously we appreciate the mission of the informer as well and, and the black press so thank you thank you thanks for having me i want to come back so well, sure. you know oh. I, I guess it can't be the same segment but i had a great time with y'all so just t- let me know when you need me a- absolutely absolutely <laughs> appreciate it thank you yes. and you have to come on the inf- informer platform you know Ooh. we have win tv so come and show hey. us love on win oh. tv yeah. i'll show up to the yeah. studio for that for real live <laughs> what you don't know is he'll be live I love- <laughs> I, love, I love it. No, we can make that yeah, happen. No yeah. question. Let's do that. No problem. No problem. Cool.